Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey, everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. It is 10.17 a.m., March 20th, Monday, and I have an update on what's going on in the banking world, which, of course, impacts the credit union world. I've got a couple articles. I want to have some quotes from the Wall Street Journal. There's a podcast interview of Barney Frank I want to play a snippet of, which was pretty interesting. And there's a discussion of Janet Yellen had at a banking hearing, which I also found uh, amazing, I guess is the best word for it. But anyway, let's start. So I haven't chatted much about Signature Bank. And of course, Barney Frank, a former congressman from Massachusetts, sat on that board before they were taken over two Sundays ago. There's a really interesting article from yesterday in the Wall Street Journal that says Signature Bank built a business around a collection niches. The New York Bank juiced its growth by combining a traditional commercial real estate business with divisions catering to customers too small or complicated for its cross-town Wall Street rivals, entrepreneurs and law firms, taxi drivers, and crypto companies. Red tape was minimal and customer service was a top priority. Signature's strategy delivered steady profit and rapid growth making it among the highest valued banks in America, yet it ultimately hastened its own undoing. The bank failed after its tight-knit clientele drained their accounts in a panic. Signature is the third largest bank to fail in U.S. history, just behind Silicon Valley Bank, which had collapsed two days earlier. Already bruised by the tech slowdown, it made its end in much the same way. The crypto meltdown that accelerated after the FTX debacle late last year dinged investors' confidence in the lender. The collapse of another crypto-focused bank, Silvergate Capital. By the way, Mark Trichel editorial comment. I have a couple podcasts on Silvergate back when those when Silvergate began to fail, and they self-liquidated recently. And the lightning-fast failure of SVB destroyed it completely. Late Sunday, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation said that New York Community Bank Corp's Flagstar Bank will take on Signature's deposits, excluding about $4 billion linked to Signature's crypto business. The regulator said it would deal with those customers directly. Did you catch that? The bank that's taking over Signature is not taking over the deposits tied to the crypto industry. That's interesting. So when you have a takeover, it's like a credit union. When, when NCUA has a troubled credit union, it's not a merger. It's called a purchase and assumption. And the banks bid on what they want to purchase. They can purchase assets and they can purchase credits on the balance sheet, which can be liabilities or deposits. They specifically decided to exclude the crypto deposits of $4 billion. Flagstar is also buying some of Signature's assets. The FDIC said it expects Signature's failure to cost the deposit insurance fund about $2.5 billion. So if there's a cost of $2.5 
billion dollars, that means there's assets that are being substantially discounted beyond what their capital is. So that number is pretty big. This account of signatures collapse is based on what public information and interviews with people close to the bank, regulators, and potential financiers. Its personalized service and connection to the New York real estate world gave it ties to a colorful cast of characters. Its board of directors at different times included Ivanka Trump and former Congressman Barney Frank. After the 2008 financial crisis, Signature's style of relationship banking gave favor with investors and customers alike. Signature keeps looking for new niche businesses to keep growing. Sometimes they didn't work out. It tried lending to people in New York and other cities to buy taxi medallions, the permits needed to operate cabs before rideshare businesses such as Uber Technologies and Lyft gutted that business. Of course, credit unions are aware of the taxi medallion credit unions all of whom failed during the Uber and Lyft extravaganza of about 10 to eight years ago. And credit unions took a little bit of a loss on that. In 2018, Signature executives decided to get into crypto, a market that bigger lenders had all but rejected. The bank opened deposit accounts for crypto companies and built a payments network that allowed them to send dollars to each other quickly. It didn't hold cryptocurrencies or make loans backed by digital assets. Mr. Shea, the chairman, wrote out the initial plan for the payment network by hand and kept the piece of paper in a frame in his midtown Manhattan office. That reminds me of Southwest Airlines, who the CEO and founder of Southwest Airlines wrote it on the back of a napkin and figured out what they could do to form Southwest Airlines, which I think was a bit more successive than Signature Bank's foray into crypto. By early 2022, 27% of Signature's $109 billion in deposits were from digital asset clients. Its stock rose alongside cryptocurrencies, reaching a high of 366 that January. Then the crypto world imploded. The bank cut back on crypto deposits after FTX failed, but its exposure to the market hit Signature shares. Executives spent time reassuring customers that the bank was on solid footing. So just an editorial comment, $109 billion in deposits, 27% tied to crypto and FDIC taking a loss of $2.5 billion. So a $2.5 billion loss on a $109 billion asset base actually is not percentage-wise, dollar-wise, it's a huge loss. Percentage-wise, as far as failures go, that's actually pretty, I want to say reasonable, but pretty light. NCUA failures typically cost at least 20 to 25%. Meanwhile, Signature was also starting to feel the pinch from the Federal Reserve's rapid interest rate increases, customers were beginning to withdraw money from accounts paying paltry interest in search of higher yields. It lost $17.5 billion in deposits in 2022, its first ever decline. The real trouble started after Silvergate and SVB collapsed in quick succession. On Thursday, March 9th, as a run started at SVB, Signature sought to reassure investors, saying it had been buying back shares that week. Signature executives also bought stock in a show of confidence, according to regulatory filings. The government seized SVB the morning of March 10th, setting up a panic among signatures like SVB. The bulk of its deposits, $83 billion all told, were in accounts over the FDIC's $250,000 insurance cap. Bank bankers were overwhelmed. Customers were calling and bank management was saying, we are fine. 
Mr. Frank, the former congressman and signature director said, customers replied, we're going to JP Morgan because we are more comfortable, Mr. Frank said. This is Barney Frank who was on the board. Signature believed it had $29 billion it could borrow from the Fed and Federal Home Loan Bank of New York to shore up its balance sheet. It went to the New York Federal Home Loan Bank on March 10th to borrow more than $2 billion around noon. By 1.30 p.m., customers were withdrawing money so fast that it had to go back for another $2.5 billion. The New York Federal Home Loan Bank was flooded with borrowing requests that day. Banks leave collateral like mortgages from the federal home with the Federal Home Loan Bank in exchange for credit lines. To advance the money, the Federal Home Loan Banks have to issue debt. That can take a few hours during busy periods, and it means they can generally only lend when the market is open. The second request was filled close to 6 p.m. By then, Signature's customers had withdrawn $18 billion, about 20% of the lender's total deposits. The bank inquired about further federal home loan bank advances after the market closed, but was told no. The New York Federal Home Loan Bank told the Wall Street Journal that it filled all formal requests for advances from banks received during market hours on March 10th. Over the weekend of March 11th and 12th, executives holed up with lawyers and advisors at Signature's office. They raced to find a buyer or arrange a capital infusion, and they started talking to the Fed about borrowing more money. The bank had tapped the Fed's discount window for a few billion dollars Friday and hoped to get around $20 billion more from the central bank. The run was on pause, but that hadn't stopped depositors from initiating withdrawal requests, setting Signature up for a Monday meltdown. On Sunday afternoon, the Fed told Signature that it wouldn't lend it any more money. A white night still hadn't materialized. Following discussions with regulators in DC, the New York bank, banking regulators called time. The New York regulator had a crisis of confidence in the management team. The head of the New York Department of Financial Services said, she signed paperwork on March 12th, closing the bank, and dispatched a team from her office and to the FDIC's signature headquarters. The office was hushed when they arrived. Signature Bank is now part of Flagstar. And on a related note, there was an opinion article called Signature Bank's Crypto Execution. Did regulators close the bank because some of its customers were politically unpopular? Barney Frank says regulators seized Signature Bank last weekend because they wanted to send a message to other banks not to do business with the crypto industry. The evidence increasingly suggests the former congressman could be right. This is, again, according to the Wall Street Journal. New York's Department of Financial Services took possession of Signature on Sunday after it experienced a run on deposit following the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Other mid-side Size banks also experienced large deposit outflows, and Mr. Frank, who served on Signature's board, says the bank had enough liquidity on Sunday to ride out the run. Interestingly, based on that previous article I just read, I don't think they had any liquidity, so I'm not sure that that's accurate, unless Mr. Frank knew more than the Wall Street Journal did. Regulators seized Signature to send a message to get people away from crypto, Mr. Frank told Bloomberg Radio. We were singled out to be the poster child for that message. Signature doesn't invest in, trade, hold, or make loans collateralized by digital tokens, but it does safeguard U.S. dollar deposits of crypto companies and their customers. Crypto customers make up about 20% of Signature's deposits, which is more than, any, more than at other banks, but less than at the failed Silvergate Bank. 
Too much exposure to any one industry can be risky, but Signature otherwise had a diverse deposit base that included many top New York law firms and real estate developers. Until last week, its greatest balance sheet risk appeared to be its heavy footprint in New York real estate. Like other banks, its assets also suffered from duration risk owing to rising interest rates, which could cause losses if it had to liquidate securities to redeem deposits as it did last week. February 3rd, the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, FDIC, and OCC issued a statement that they have significant safety and soundness concerns about bank crypto exposure and closely monitor crypto asset related exposures. By the way, that's a joint letter that they made reference to, a letter that NCUA did not sign off on. I'm not sure if they were not invited to sign off or they chose not to, but they do have a letter to credit unions showing that NCUA's has a kinder, gentler approach to crypto, at least currently. Signature held reserves backing stablecoins. Regulators are ostensibly concerned that crypto customers could rush to redeem stablecoins all at once, causing a drawdown of deposits that creates a liquidity squeeze. This shouldn't be a problem for banks with diverse deposit bases, and the risk of a deposit run isn't unique to crypto, as we've seen this week. Regulators ironically fueled the liquidity squeeze that they are ostensibly trying to prevent by spooking signature depositors about its crypto exposure. By making crypto politically toxic, they also concentrated crypto deposits at banks like Silvergate and Signature. Following the government's signature seize, crypto companies say they are struggling to get other banks to take their deposits. While the FDIC is ostensibly trying to sell Signature to another bank, by the way, I just told you they did sell it and that they opened up under the new bank's name this morning. In any case, banks will be reluctant to bid for signature owing to its legal risks, especially after a leak this week that the Justice Department has opened a criminal probe into signature's anti-money laundering protections. A buyer might have to divest signature's crypto customers to get protection from the government's lawsuits and indictments. And, the, and as that first article showed, the buyer did not buy those. And again, in a purchase and assumption, you buy particular assets, you buy branches, you buy deposits and you avoid the legal risk that anything that's not in the contract that you specifically bought, those legal risks stay with the estate of the failed bank and don't go to the new bank. That's why a purchase and assumption is better than a merger as far as acquisitions in virtually every possible situation. All right. And with that, I have one more. I'm going to do a separate podcast on some of the items I mentioned on the front end. With that, I want to go to a podcast, a snippet from a podcast by Smirconish called the Smirconish Podcast. He used to be on CNN, not sure if he's still on CNN, but he does have a podcast. And he interviewed representative, former representative. Do you agree with the president's characterization, which is don't call this a bailout because investors and shareholders are going to get stung and it's only the depositors, I shouldn't say only, but it's the depositors even north of $250,000 that we're going to protect. Right. And, and it's especially we're protecting, frankly, the people who were dependent on the depositors. And I said this back in 2008, you know, if you want to limit the deposit guarantee for personal, so if somebody's got a million dollars in pocket cash, uh, I'm not as worried about them. They can find other ways to protect it. But if you're a business with an obligation of millions or tens of millions of payroll, what are you supposed to do? Uh, 
you can't invest that in securities and then and then be the payroll. And we felt that many of us back in 2010, we lost because here's the, the dirty little secret. The biggest banks, Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, et cetera, they don't mind when people feel nervous about the larger deposit because in that case, and that's what happened to us and other banks, people say, well, you know, it's not legally guaranteed at JP Morgan Chase, but it's probably going to be safer there. So you get, and that's what was our problem, a run on the banks generated by that. So, Okay, I'm pausing what Frank, when he said our, he's referring to Signature Bank. Fascinating that back in 2008, and in my last podcast, I made reference to the fact that from 2008 to 2012, there was a guarantee and or insurance, whatever you want to call it. I'll call it a guarantee because I think that's technically correct on business checking accounts that did not pay interest. And that was to calm down big depositors during the last crisis. I do ultimately believe that's where it's heading. But to hear Barney Frank talk about the fact that the big banks actually like, the too big to fail banks actually like the $250,000 limit because it helps them grow because people will say, wow, they're too big to fail. So let's move it over there. Now with this last action two weeks ago, they've expanded what too big to fail means. And these SVB and Signature were kind of pulled into too big to fail. They call it a systemic event that they're trying to prevent. And as the earlier from the Wall Street Journal that I read you showed, it was basically a run at Signature um, that was driven by SVB, which was driven by Silvergate and was driven by people wanting to put their money where they thought it would be safe in light of everything else that was happening. So here's more from Smirconish and Barney Frank. What we're talking about is guaranteeing business deposits so that businesses that have payroll and other obligations will be able to meet them at least say for a couple of months until they can make other arrangements. I think this audience knows, but I should make clear that when you say our, you're referring to Signature Bank. Yes. You're talking about your experience with Signature as, as a board member. Right. And, but I, it's a position that I had before I ever heard of Signature Bank. In 2008, the Federal Reserve said they would guarantee business accounts above the, it was then $100,000, um, and to, to, to make sure that we didn't get too much of a domino effect. And then many of us on, on the House side, being sensitive to workers' interests and payroll capacity, wanted to extend that. But we lost out to a combination of philosophical objection and the influence of the biggest banks that wanted to have a competitive advantage by there being a low guarantee. And so what they announced on Monday was that they're going to go back to guaranteeing larger deposits. I think the law should now be changed so that larger deposits are guaranteed, not unlimited, but a business should be able to have guarantee on an amount to carry two months worth of business to pay vendors, to pay workers, etc. And I hope that will be made a permanent change in the legislation. It's something I wanted to do 12 years ago. Okay, pausing that there. So two months worth of paying vendors, paying employees. So how do you figure that out? Every business has different volumes and you have a cascading amount that would be based on the volume of a particular business. I'm not sure that would be something that would be easy to calculate. So if they end up increasing the deposits or providing guarantees for business accounts, I think it would be something 
with a total dollar cap. Ultimately, I think this is somewhere, is something that probably has pretty good legs. However, with a split split control of the House and the Senate, I don't see this happening anytime soon. And as I've said in previous podcasts, the blame game is running fast and hot right now. So anyway, here's more. So, Congressman, you would you would treat an individual if I were so fortunate as to have more than 250 in any one particular bank, I wouldn't get that same treatment as what no. you're proposing a business would. Right. For this reason, first of all, um, we're not you. There aren't all these other people dependent upon you, maybe your family. Uh, secondly, uh, individuals, you know, you can't split it up and go into several banks. So if you've got eight or nine hundred thousand dollars, you can go into three banks. Right. But if you've got a payroll of uh, tens of millions, you can't go into prudent to say you have to go into that many other banks. And again, if you've got hundreds of thousands of dollars or million dollars, there were other things you, you're not meeting a payroll on a weekly basis. You can put it into other investments that are not as liquid. It's only businesses, which I think have the absolute legitimate need to be able to access large amounts of cash very quickly. And there you have uh, Barney Frank again explaining why he thinks there should be a guarantee and or insurance on large accounts. This will, in my opinion, become law at some juncture as the world has changed in banking because of the actions taken a week ago. Friday, on the front end of this podcast, I mentioned I was going to go into a couple more articles and I was going to to go into Janet Yellen being questioned by a congressman on a banking committee. And I'm going to do that as a separate podcast as this one went on a little longer than I thought. All right. So there's a little bit on Signature Bank, why it failed, why it was related to SVB, why it had to happen over the weekend, some of the challenges they had getting additional funding from the Federal Home Loan Bank and the Fed, and where I think this is heading, which will be towards a change in laws that will provide higher levels of insurance and or guarantees permanently to business bank accounts. I think ultimately, whether that's two years, five years, 10 years, that's where the banking system, in my opinion, is heading. That's it for this podcast. There'll be more on this topic as situation warrants. This is Mark Trichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktrichel.com. 